I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of the Gibson Review. In every episode, we're starting off with the Week in Review, catching up on movies and TV shows we've watched since the last episode, move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and finish up with film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, the main event will be the latest biopic starring Elizabeth Moss called Shirley, about author Shirley Jackson. Then, in conjunction with that, film faves, we'll take a look at our favorite biopics. So, there's a lot to mine there. We'll see how that ends up shaping up. But first, before we get started, a couple of things I forget. And in the last episode, we counted down our favorite 40s movies. And I forgot, as uh, when we were finishing up, to kind of ask, like, what our favorite actors or actresses were of the decade based on our favorites. Uh, so we're going to do that now. Shanna, what was your favorite actor or actress of the 40s? It was definitely Katherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and a little bit of Spencer Tracy. Oh, cool. I think Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn are my favorite movie couple. Mm. You know, because they were constantly together on movies. So how could they not be? And they made a couple great ones for sure in the 40s. There's a few we haven't seen, but the ones that we have seen are pretty solid. Uh, for me, I, I will second your pick of Cary Grant. He was awesome. It seems like the 40s was his prime, basically. He had a couple picks on my list worth checking out on there. Were there any movies that you wanted to get to that you didn't we didn't have time to check out i thought i did a pretty good job of looking at a lot of different movies maybe there was some i could have done but i don't know what they would be i had a few that just ran out of time i'm going to run through them real quickly uh james cagney's gangster movie white heat uh, Key Largo with Edward, Jane, Edward G. Robinson and Humphrey Bogart. The Lost Weekend by Billy Wilder. And Ms. Miniver. I keep missing out on Ms. Miniver, that Oscar winner. And uh, that movie by William Wyler that uh, I think might make a really great pairing with the best years of our lives, which we talked about in the last episode. So hopefully I'll have another opportunity to catch up with those movies. But... I wanted to give a second to focus on these things because I forgot about them in the last episode. If you want to hear more about the 40s movies, definitely check out our last episode where we talk about the decade and our favorites. All right, moving right along into the week in review. Shannon, this is the first time in, well, since the pandemic at least started that you have not had a week in review. What happened? Well... As Washington State starts opening up again, I've gone back to work. 
And there is no time, especially the first week you're back with a toddler. It's been a lot of fun. He missed me a lot. I missed him. And that kid just looks into my eyes and just loves me unconditionally, you know. So it's been a really fun week. Mm -hmm. Really been a time to be present. Mm -hmm. So that's been really nice. So you also, as a result, have not had any time to yourself and as such we didn't have a week in review but guess what guess what <laughs> i have a week in review i saw something on my own oh my gosh <laughs> so one of those things is a movie i've been meaning to catch up with three different occasions the past couple of years it is the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford from 2007 I didn't get to catch up with it when we did our our favorite 2007 movies. Didn't catch up to it when a podcast I listened to did a revisit on it. But I did now. Yay, you got to watch something. So there's quite a few people, principally Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck, but also like Sam Shepard and Sam Rockwell and several other people I can't even think of off the top of my head. Elizabeth Perkins, I think? But anyway, it is exactly as the title suggests. It is about Robert Ford, who joins Jesse James' gang. He kind of idolizes Jesse James, who was an outlaw, in case you're not familiar with Western folklore. He was an outlaw of, of the time around the Civil War or so, kind of late 19th century. And, uh, you know, it's about the events that led up to the assassination of Jesse James. So this is a two hour, 40 minute film, but it is so well crafted and exceptional. And uh, let's see here. I think it was Roger Deakins who even did the cinematography for it. So... They got a lot of awesomeness in this thing. Brad Pitt is absolutely incredible. His character, though, during the, the course of the film, essentially begins to distrust everybody around him. It is about him not knowing who to trust or who to believe. And, and, and he has this ability, he does this really well, this ability to create tension through his bullshit meter his his distrust and you can just see it on his face and you're not sure if he's gonna snap and shoot somebody out of the blue that he suspects of lying to him or whatever or what and so he's very effective and very tense in the film there are narration segments in the film that are really kind of fascinating because it's not just a voiceover over uh, action happening in the film or anything or long shots. Anytime the narration kicks in, there's this sort of dreamy quality to what happens on screen. Either it's you know people looking through unclear glass or it has this sort of fuzzy look to it almost like a memory or a myth or something that you're watching and the narr narrator and and the the writing is a is quite poetic in its delivery and it's kind of cool 
the craftsmanship, you know, that's just part of it. The craftsmanship and the telling of the story is just exceptional. I was quite impressed by it. Everything that happens after the titular act is uh, quite actually surprising. I didn't expect what we get after the titular act. And it's very interesting. It's thematically rich. It, it, it definitely gave me some stuff to mull over and really think about it in terms of character depth and perception and this idea playing with myths and and you know expectations of creating our own myths and stuff uh it's kind of cool in that sense and it also gets down to the humanity beneath the legends too so i highly recommend the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford it is one of the best films of 2007 for sure. And I think I might even give it, go so far as to give it a 9 out of 10. That about does it for the weekend review. Now it's time to move on to the main event, which is our review of Shirley. To our suffering, my dear. There's not enough scotch in the world for that. <laughs> Shirley, what are you writing now? A little novella. I'm calling none of your goddamn business. <laughs> well, you were invited to stay here for a few days until we can find a place. Shirley has these bouts. She's gone sick in the head. I read your story. What are you doing in here? It made me feel thrillingly horrible. Do you know what it's like to have a secret? What are you up to? That girl, what do you think? Trite and a bit trashy, but uh, yeah, give it a go. I like you, Rosie. Can I trust you? I feel like we're in the Scottish play. On the verge of madness. What will? Happen. See their secret looks. Freud would have had a field day. I'm counting down from three. Three, two, one. becomes of your dear heroine. What happens to all lost girls? They go mad. And that's from the trailer to Shirley, this year's biopic by Josephine Decker, based on a novel by Susan Scarf Merrill about horror writer shirley jackson the imd description is a famous horror writer shirley jackson finds her inspiration for her next book after she and her husband take in a young couple it kind of takes place very early on in shirley jackson's career she basically recently just published the lottery and other stories this stars elizabeth moss michael stuhlbarg odessa young and Logan Lehrman, with appearances by Robert Wool. 
So when we review a movie, what we like to do is first focus on the good. What we liked about a movie, what worked for us, what uh, made a film worthwhile before focusing on the bad. What sucked, what flaws were there, what just didn't work for us about a film. Then we weigh whether or not the good outweighed the bad in the film. And before we go into spoiler talk and final thoughts. So, Shanna, explain to us first how much you knew about the titular person in question going into this, and what was good about Shirley. So, at first I only knew what you told me about Shirley, and then they make reference to the lottery, and I remember reading that short story in early high school and kind of being horrified (laughs) by the story but also you know her work seems to give you pause and make you think well well could this work for the greater good no matter what she writes about you know so that was my exposure to her Mm -hmm. and once I realized that because they make reference to it in the movie fairly soon yeah I was kind of excited I was already excited because Elizabeth Moss, how could I not? Mm -hmm. And I found this film really interesting in how it told the story. It had, you know, these really interesting moments where I thought I was looking at one character, but it's actually not the character I was thinking of. They just looked so similar because, you know, she gets the idea for this book and those characters, that character comes to her in this beautifully visual way. And I just really loved how they showed the creative side of things in this film. Mm. Everything that happens in this film, I thought was really subtle. And I also thought that most of the stuff happening was relatable in some way, at least from a creative person's perspective. I love the cinematography and I thought the score was really interesting. So the score is by Tamar Kali, who is not a composer I am familiar with. Uh, she's done work on Mudbound and The Last Thing He Wanted and The Lie. And apparently also the film The Assistant, too. As far as the cinematography, the cinematography is done by Sterlebrandt Groveland, who is not a cinematographer I'm familiar with either, are you? I mean, I don't know a lot of cinematographers by name. What has this person done? Well, she's a Norwegian. Hey, we're around the same age. And she has done work for, gosh, let's see, a lot of movies I've never heard of before. A couple things on Netflix, uh, Before the Frost, The Discovery, uh, something called Victoria, Rams. Oh, it looks like she did Wendy, and which she, who knows when we'll get to see that. Right. She did Wendy from this year as well. So not really people whose work that we can draw familiarity with. We're kind of new to those people. I was also really excited to see that Elizabeth Moss got a producer credit. And why was that exciting for you? Well, I just thought it was great that she's being like more integrated into each project she does. That doesn't surprise me too much because this seems to be the direction she tends to go. 
in her career is not necessarily the big studio pictures but more like these or tv shows i mean i know the handmaid's tale is kind of the exception but there's other stuff out there that she's done oh then there's Mad Men. well i guess she's all over the place yeah I mean, as far as tv she's nothing. done some like huge hits but in terms of film she's done like more obscure indie stuff that really just the critical and cinephile communities are, are really familiar. You know, just left of center, stuff that's more challenging, right? I would say The Invisible Man earlier this year and last year's uh, crime boss movie that we were talking about. What was that movie again? Kitchen. The Kitchen. Those are the, like the only like big studio movies, I would say. And even then, they have an interesting angle to them, right? So I'm not terribly surprised that she's choosing these products and and helping produce them too in, in order to get them made using her name and her clout to do so and i think we're all the better for that uh, did you have any other thoughts about what you liked about the film i loved her performance i loved the story i i thought there was really interesting stuff happening between shirley and uh what is the other character's name rosie Rosie and I just loved seeing Shirley working so hard but also stumbling and I I loved how the movie ended and I was kind of all over the place with my feelings about the husbands mm. like sometimes it it and like with one husband my feelings were more oh, well, you're certainly a dick and you wouldn't be in my life, but I can understand why Shirley would value your opinion. Mm. So I, th- I thought that that was interesting. Okay. I-, I liked that scene in particular that we can talk about later, I guess. Okay. I loved a lot of the scenes. There were these moments where there's these college girls on campus who are doing really sensual things whether they're just talking or moving their body in a certain way. Hmm. And then it'll happen like with natural light. And then it'll happen later with sort of fashion light. And it looks very glamorous. And I thought that that was an interesting way to suggest that, you know, there are these professors on campus that will sleep with college girls. And maybe this is the group of college girls that are the elite chosen ones of that sort of category Hmm. i don't know if i'm wording this correct but that i thought that that was interesting okay okay well i think there's a lot of interesting aspects to this film you mentioned the cinematography and it did occur to me after a certain point in the movie how curious the cinematography was rather than making standard shots at a distance or from above like say in a bedroom the camera is often very close up or looking through objects in a room and i found that really interesting because it doesn't necessarily like the scene doesn't have to be shot necessarily in these ways but very often we have not necessarily profile either over over the shoulder close-up shots of characters or just very like not in your face, but really up there with the characters, no matter what it is they're doing in particular scenes. Not very often are there shots that are set 10, 15 feet away from the characters and sat fixed. 
it's always a lot closer than that from either the waist up or or closer or higher. Yeah, it's like it doesn't shy away from the characters. And mm. you're right. Like, there's a lot of shots in the film that are really interesting and layered. There's texture to them. So it's not... Sometimes it's not even a plain shot. There's something blurred about it and not in a normal blurred out of focus way. It's kind of like a scratch blur. Huh. And so it's just really interesting. It is interesting. And the score too. I noticed there's there's times where the score gets really plucky. And I don't mean that in like, uh, oh, it's fun and plucky. I mean, it's like it's plucking, (laughs) a lot of plucking of the strings. And the times I noticed that most were in sexual situations, Mm. which um, I found uh, to be an interesting choice. And maybe you can illuminate in spoilers a little bit about that. I don't know. But uh, I thought that was unique. The, The score, I don't know that the score is necessarily trying to ever move you at all uh, or even telegraph to you how you should be feeling i think it's often more trying to fit a mood of a scene or something or or a theme well and i love how everything that's happening in this film is up for interpretation and you can really play with everything that happens Mm. sometimes elizabeth like shirley is doing something with her character in her book Mm. and sometimes she's interacting with rosie but they look very similar to each other and it took me a while to realize that we're dealing with two different people that shirley is interacting with at times it's kind of fun how the character is with her all the time and sometimes does things at a party or in a room or on a a mountain edge. Uh That's really interesting. But then Rosie's also standing there. So it's like Rosie's constantly inspiring or she's in a situation and then Shirley is adding to that situation. So it's really interesting, I find. Mm. I had a couple more things I just wanted to touch on really quickly. I thought, first of all, I got a, a very big Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf vibe from this film with the couple played by Elizabeth Moss and Michael Stuhlbarg. Of course, <laughs> the couple coming into their home, Odessa Young and Logan Lerman. How you have this married couple who are very difficult to be around. And they, 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 po- they hmm, what's the word? They torment? poke, they prod at their guests and at each other and, you know, argue or say things that are, are very off-putting or upsetting. It, and, and that reminds me so much of that, that film from the uh, 60s with Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. I found it very interesting and fascinating in a way and i don't know if there's any basis on reality in what happens in in terms of the events of of this couple coming in to stay with with shirley and stanley i i I honestly don't know everything about their personality and about their marriage seems to be based on reality and i i did appreciate their the depiction of their marriage because 
it shows how they can be very difficult to be around. They're very flawed people, both of them, uh, but also they have their strengths as a spouse each, right? He, you know, Stanley Hyman, as much as he can be unpleasant, and also clearly, as it's suggested, he's cheated on Shirley. He also absolutely adores and encourages her talent and does what he can to help her function so she can create whatever is the next thing for her and praises uh, her for her work and and that's the thing that he fell in love with first right is her mind and her talent and so that's the thing that he nurtures most in their relationship and uh, you know I, I i appreciated how it captures this complexity of their relationship and how bristly it is but also how supportive it is too yeah, I like that too. I thought it was really interesting to see the realism of that because I think it's very difficult for creatives to be together. I've seen several creatives' relationships and mm-hmm. they love each other for what they're capable of doing and mm-hmm. creating, but often pushing each other mm-hmm. looks very horribly unpleasant. Yeah, I mean, Stanley wasn't necessarily a creative in real life. He was a professor and a studier of criticism. And well, that's creative in its own right, isn't it, surely? So? Well, I oh, mean, he's coming up with lesson plans. He's, okay, well. you know, making others think. He talks about how much he hates mediocrity. Oh, yes. You know. And so I feel like if you hate mediocrity, you're, you're probably a creative in some right. Perhaps, maybe, but uh, I want to make clear he's a, he's a critic, right? So as a critic, you're not going to like mediocrity. I don't like mediocrity. He makes a really good point that I have heard echoed from other people about how, at least if it's bad, it's it, it can it can be interesting, right? You know, it could be a beautiful disaster. Let's say, you know. Uh, if it's brilliant, it's even more interesting. But if it's mediocre, if it's derivative, it's just a waste of everybody's time, you know? Uh, so he's a critic. He came up with uh, theories on criticism and stuff. And I, I would side really more surely as the more creative one who, who would go on to write 200 stories, who would write several novels and stuff. So... You know, and, and be one of the most celebrated authors of the 20th century. Anyway, I did appreciate that. And I would say the best thing about this film is you reference the different people that Shirley has seen and stuff. And one is a character that is the subject of a novel. And the other is the person who's staying with her, uh, played by Odessa Young. There is a third person that is kind of part of the main inspiration where it's this woman who went missing right and Shirley has articles cut out about this person who went missing and she's pondering over this mystery and she sometimes discusses this mystery with Rose uh, played by Odessa and there's a moment when Stanley played by Michael Stuhlbarg challenges 
Shirley about her interest in this case. And she says, why do you even care? You don't even know her. And, and Shirley bites back, don't you tell me I don't know this girl. Don't you dare. And she's speaking to this idea of uh, a girl who just wants to be noticed and does something just to be noticed, per se. And I thought that was one of the most interesting ideas of the movie. I don't know if it's an idea that is played out with consistency or is played out satisfyingly. But it is an idea I did find interesting and, and really kind of rose me a little bit when I when I heard it and it hit on that. Really glad that you mentioned that because I did for a moment forget about that scene. It was a brilliant scene and can really speak to what a lot of women go through at some point in their lives, if not a long period of their lives. Mm. And I love how she defended... It's almost like she was defending herself, but more so defending all those women speaking for them. Yeah. To her husband, to someone who notices other women around on the campus, you know? Yeah. Like, what about those that don't get noticed? And I'm not saying they should all get noticed in a sexual way. I'm just saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's an interesting point. Well, what didn't work for you about the movie? What was the bad? I don't really have any problem with the film. Mm. Like, I really liked it, and I thought it really made me pay attention, and it allowed us all to interpret things differently. Mm. There's a scene by A Mountain's Edge with Elizabeth Moss and Odessa Young, so Shirley and Rosie. Mm-hmm. And it's super interesting because... At the end of the film, when we were talking about it, our son had one interpretation of what happened. I had one interpretation. You had one interpretation. So sort it was really of. interesting. Sort of. Let's let's talk more about that in spoilers. But it doesn't sound like you really have any issues, no flaws. There was no bad for you. This is a perfect film. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'd have to watch it again to give it that. But I don't see any issues. Okay. I really struggled with this movie. As as much as there's some interesting things in it, I think we'll have an interesting spoiler discussion. I'll say that there was a few times when I was very tempted to check the time on, on the film and see how much longer we had because it, it, was, it was a little tough to get through. I guess there was times when I wondered, where are we going with this? There didn't necessarily uh, seem to be much in the way of a narrative momentum. And sometimes maybe in the second act, the movie kind of floundered a little bit on, gosh, presumably on Shirley's creative process and her ups and downs, her swings, and how, how all that's affecting Rose, played by Odessa Young, it felt like, uh, I guess, talking it out, maybe enough was enough after a certain point. It just did not feel like we were getting anywhere. And I really had no idea where we were supposed to be heading. So it was tough. It was really uh, tough for me to get through. And the things that I thought were 
were interesting were not interesting it was it was like oh well that's odd that's different that's unique uh i can appreciate that but is it enough to keep me with it mm, not not really and even as i said what thoughts it or ideas it did have i'm not sure that it necessarily went anywhere with it uh and it's certainly anywhere satisfying and there's a couple other questions like i have like how does this work as a biopic do you feel like you get to know shirley jackson much like do you get a better understanding of who she was or you know i mean or in her life i'm and i'm not sure like does it provide much insight into the author and in what ways does it function as a biopic i think you bring up some good points from the biopic standpoint yeah you get a little bit of her but i also feel like maybe this isn't about specifically her but more about her creative process okay okay I could see that. I mean, that still sticks with the fact that the movie is titled Shirley. So that still is consistent with that. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to talk in spoilers here and kind of give our concluding thoughts for those who haven't seen the film and and get right into it for a few minutes here. Uh, Shanna, what do you have left to say for those who haven't seen the film and what would you rate the film out of 10? This is a great watch for women. I think that men should be included too. I rate this film a 7 out of 10. It's creative. If you're willing to sit with the film, I think you'll have an interesting visual experience and have a lot of fun trying to interpret what's going on. Okay. I'm surprised that you rated it a 7 out of 10 and without having really much in the way of issues with it well you gave me pause because it's like oh well it's a biopic well you know what if you look at it from a biopic standpoint then maybe i give it a seven but if i look at it just from a film like by itself like not attached to anyone in particular Mm. then i would maybe give it a nine fascinating so i give the film a six out of ten and oh well then you know what i'll just change <laughs> I'll just make it an even eight. Okay. okay, all right. Just kind of fudging the numbers a little bit. It's, it's been a while since I've rated something. Okay. Fair enough. I, as I was saying, I give the film a six out of ten, which in my book is good, but I don't think I can recommend it. I don't think I can actually say that the good outweighs the bad. I don't think that there is necessarily quite enough there to make it a satisfying or worthwhile experience it's definitely regardless not a movie for any for everybody you have to be a little bit adventurous as a film goer to take on this film you have to be interested in movies that are slightly left of center that do something different that deal with difficult characters actually really you have to be okay with that and in order to have mileage go as as far as it did with shanna but for me you know i'm not against a lot of those things but this movie just did not fulfill it for me so that is my thoughts on shirley 
If you've seen Shirley, please join us for the spoiler discussion we're about to have about it. If you have not, you know, take my recommendation or Shrana's recommendation as you see fit and join us for the Film Faves segment, which is stamped in the show notes. Because we're going to get into it with Shirley and our opposing thoughts starting now. Let the opposition begin! Okay, so, spoilers for Shirley, one last time. Let's talk about that idea first, before we go any further on what I have. Uh, that function as a biopic, insight into the author. I get the sense of who she was as a, as a person to an extent. I have no idea what got her to that place. I didn't even really have a clear sense of where she was in her career, I had to Google her in order to get a sense of the timing of things. I had no idea what the book was she was working on. It actually is a real book. It was called something like The Hainza Man, which came out in 51. I thought it was The Hanger Man. Uh, no, it's not like that. That It's not uh, accurately uh. pronounced. And I think that came out in 51. And I believe... The lottery came out in 49. But, like, my best guess was, oh, this movie might take place in the late 50s. There was nothing to me that really kind of placed it anywhere in her life, not knowing much about her, right? Like, there was no context, uh, extra textual context outside of this house that gave me a, a sense of time and when this might have been. Uh, of course, it doesn't follow any part of her life per se outside of this time in her house. How many months is it? Well, it's nine months of Rosie being pregnant. That's true. And then maybe seven. And then the baby looks like it's like six or eight months old by the time they leave. And there's at least a couple months or so before before she's even or no how long no, she's pregnant when she gets there you're right i forgot about that because yeah. she wants to do a spell that's one of the things that shirley calls out uncomfortably yeah. at the dinner table right so i guess the husband doesn't even know right yeah it's like at first a uh, what's her name rosie tried playing it off as oh we weren't going to tell anybody yet but she like must have just found out and hadn't even told her husband yet because her husband had no idea hmm so you're right, there's at least nine months plus a few months on top of that. So maybe a year and a quarter's period of time in this film. So I had a hard time getting much insight into um, beyond what happens in this house in this year or so. I would say it does give insight into her as a creative person, as an author. You know, you see the typical stuff of being protective of what's not completed. Yeah. You know, not wanting anyone necessarily to look at or touch or read anything. That's fairly typical of an author. And you get a sense that she's very reclusive already at this point in her life. Like, isn't there a moment where she has a hard time even stepping outside? Yeah, because she has some sort of anxiety. That's how I read the situation is that yeah. she's anxious to leave the house. But do we know why? We're not given a reason. 
We're just told that's what it is. We're given the sense that she has some sort of a reputation around town already. People talk about her in town. And I think I think maybe that's what caused the anxiety. I mean, if people are constantly coming up to you and not necessarily praising you, or if people are afraid of you, I mean, that can do stuff to you. I you guess, know? but the question is, why would that be in the first place? What what sparked that reputation in the first place? Because you know? she wrote horror. Okay, yeah, that's true. But then that's maybe true. she also constantly interacts the way they did at that dinner table that yeah. one evening. Like, maybe she constantly is finding, spotting and calling out the weak points in people. But there are a couple party scenes, and I suppose we get the sense that she's not exactly a party animal, she gets a little awkward. You could she, say she, she's animalistic. <laughs> she's a bit of a wallflower. Well, she'll just sit down somewhere and let people buzz about around her and doing their own thing and chattering. And every once in a while, maybe she will be the focus and people gather around her and, and stuff as we see early on in the film. I don't know. I get I get a sense of her personality. Mm. But do I know a whole lot about her and her life without having to Google it from this movie? I don't think so. I don't think I learned much about her from this film. If that makes sense. It makes sense. It's not like it's a it's not like it's a cradle to grave movie. It's Sure. It's just looking at a specific time and what yeah. it was like to create for her. And and it's not like I need a cradle to grave, but I didn't even know without Googling that she was a mom of of four kids. Like you get the sense that maybe she knows something about motherhood based on one line in one scene, but you don't see like pictures of kids. There's nothing about the house that seems like it's ever been lived in with kids. You don't have any idea like are are do they have kids in college? Four kids, that's a big part of your life, right? And that is nowhere to be seen, really, or reflected in the film. But I kind of like that because as soon as she finds out that Rose just, like, figures out that Rosie is pregnant, the next day the, the, they have a moment alone together. She first gets upset at Rosie, and then she has this moment of, like, oh, well, let's get together and make a blessing or a, yeah. or, or a rejection of the baby, you know, spell yeah. kind of thing. And she really calls out if you want it mm-hmm. and you know if you want the other thing which is you don't want it right and i like that she shares that and actually says you know children are a huge commitment she says motherhood comes at a cost yeah and it does and that's you know? the line i was referring to oh sorry no it's okay it's okay but that's all we get as a biopic i think it falls short of helping people gain an understanding and appreciation of even what made Shirley Jackson a formidable author, you know? And I guess part of it is it's maybe part of it is it's so, so early in her career, you know, she hasn't written the haunting of Hill house and wouldn't for like 15 more years or something, you know, which is her other big classic that a lot of people know. I, I struggle with that, but there was an aspect of the film that you wanted to speak to in spoilers and discuss. I wanted to talk about how much 
Shirley appreciates her husband's input when she gets to the point of allowing him to see it. The the on the novel at the end. Yeah, and I, it's this really interesting roller coaster ride that her and her husband go through, yeah. with her, regards to her creating and her doing work. Like he's a really like I wouldn't even call it tough love. What's worse than tough love? <laughs> like. <laughs> I yeah. don't even have a word for it. You know, when she's still in bed, well, which happens to artists, they get a little debilitated hmm. or they need this hard reset time. We don't know what happened to her, you know, a few months before. And now all of a sudden there's people in her house. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, I'd be pissed too. Hmm. And um, so I hate him throughout most of the film, you know, just as, and I'm glad that I feel something for him, <laughs> you know. He's not your your friendly, coddling, loving, attentive husband. Mm-hmm. He's attentive in get your work done kind of way, which I deeply dislike personally. But at the end when she's... Accountability s- sucks, huh? Oh my God, why don't you fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> at the end when she's sitting there at the table waiting, I know what she's doing. You know, she's waiting for him to finish the novel. And then you see him approach her and he gives her these words of praise. Yes. And it's fairly minimal words, but she just has relief and excitement because my husband loves it. I'm going to do well. You know, it just it's really interesting. Well, and also because of the type of personality he is as as a critic and a critic criticism theorist. Like, if he says you've done it it's quite magnificent coming from someone like him uh, as maybe it's not emotionally exuberant he does eventually get emotionally exuberant but maybe the initial compliment isn't that but there's so much coming from someone like him uh that's saying something right and you know he follows it up saying of course i have a few notes but he basically calls it a a masterpiece Oh. He says that this is, this is going to be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the one. Which to me is funny because I'm like, I have no idea what this book is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and maybe that says more about me. I don't know. But at any rate. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, well, and the final thing I wanted to mention was that mountain scene where yes. Rosie has been told been very hurt and realized that her husband has certainly been cheating on her since the beginning of their arrival in this college town and she eventually makes her way like she elizabeth moss is like where do you want to go and they go to where that woman went missing Mm -hmm. and she goes to the edge of the cliff and she stands so close to the edge of the cliff Without holding the baby, Elizabeth Moss is holding the baby yeah, at this point. she gave her the baby, yeah. And it looks like she is going to jump. She doesn't, but what ends up happening is we switch to... The name is Paula, the character in the book. Mm-hmm. And that was very confusing because she kind of pushed Paula off the cliff. Well, that's interesting. You know, first of all, I'll pause you there. That's interesting that you interpreted that way because I saw her kind of nestling her head against her. In a, in a kind of loving way. And then the next shot we see is she's not on the cliff anymore. I didn't... No, I thought Elizabeth Moss pushed her off. I mean, it, it, it's very... That's a, that's a perfectly valid interpretation. But I thought that was interesting that you, you jumped to that because I didn't see it as a push. 
necessarily the way her her body movement and of course the camera being so up close you thought it was more of a love you bye maybe (laughs) well yeah that's a really cool interpretation too either way i felt like it was like okay well this is where you die character Mm. so i thought it was like a let go and what was it that made you think that there was a character and not rosie because there's a subtle change that happens every time it switches between Rosie and Paula. Okay. The hairstyle is different and there's a darker lipstick or something that's happening. Okay. Wow. That's way more subtle than and I was thinking. Every time. Well, that's why it's so confusing at times. And every time there's a certain shift with the camera or something, then mm. you know it's, oh, she's with her character. And also, you uh, said to me after watching the movie, we cut to the couple leaving the house. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And she's in the back seat. He's in the front seat. Front I passenger love that seat, scene. Right? Could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. When she approaches him at the campus about his adultery, she calls him out on it and he says, you're sick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. my god! I wanted, feel I well, wanted yeah. to murder him right there. Yeah. So, at the end, in the they're in the car, and he says, "We're going to make sure you get better, and then things will go back to normal, something along those lines." And she says, "Normal? Oh, back to little wifey Rosie? I'm not going back to that." And I was like, "Good for her." Mm-hmm. It was because you know he didn't appreciate how she was, why would she go back to that, mm-hmm. being like that? And I really loved that, and there's this madness that happens in her, kind of as if it's Paula again, mm-hmm. you know, but she's done. She's had enough, and it's great. I really love that scene. I think it speaks to a lot of women. It speaks to whether um, the spouse cheated on you or the spouse did something that was completely and utterly disrespectful, that wasn't sexual with another person. It's like, no, I'm done. You broke me and I'm going to fix myself and it's not going to be for your benefit. I just really love that scene. Awesome. I definitely have nothing else to add to that. You said it very well. So I think that'll about do it for our review of Shirley starring Elizabeth Moss. If you've seen the film, let us know what you think by emailing us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now it's time to move on to Film Faves. Film Faves is our segment where we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic and sometimes march backwards through time. The idea is to give you a sense of our taste in movies, as well as hopefully expose you to titles that maybe you have not heard of or seen. And in that end, we try to point out whenever a movie is available on a streaming subscription service. Right now, we focus on Netflix, Disney+, Hulu, HBO Now, and Amazon Prime. If a movie is available on those streaming services, we will let you know. That's on our list. Otherwise, most often than not, these movies may be available to rent on Amazon. So in this episode, we're talking about biopics. Now, biopics are really interesting because, first of all, if you try to research biopics, 
you will come across several lists that basically mention anything that may be based on real events whatsoever. And for me, a biopic is really more about a person and about following not necessarily events that happen, but uh, events in that person's life. And, and it's about, and it follows that person in particular. So for example, movies like um, All the President's Men, Dog Day Afternoon, or Spotlight, these are movies that are either about crimes or about journalist uh, research or whatever. Investigations is the word I'm looking for. They're not like a biopic. They're movies about true events. You know, whereas often biopics will have like a single name as the title, you know, like Rudy or Winnie or uh, what's another one? Mandela. Mandela. Well, that, that even has a colon because it's based on a non, uh, a non, what is it called? A, bio, uh, a biography about the person, right? Yeah. Uh, and uh, truthfully, a lot of uh, these biopics are based on actual written biop- biographies. So I try to focus on that when it comes to making this list of biopics. The other thing is biopics get a lot of criticism now in the critical community. At this point, in the past 10, 15 years, you know, you, you've seen one biopic, you've seen them all. A lot of times biopics can be very superficial in their telling. They're trying to focus on so much of a person's life that they don't really get underneath the surface very often or that it's too broad, or it focuses on a particular moment in person's life and ties everything that happened in that person's life to this one moment. These are tropes that often, at this point, are made fun of or criticized. Uh, there's a comedy which I've never seen. I'm curious if you've seen this, Shanna, that came out in like 2007 called Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story with, oh gosh, John C. Riley. Have you seen that? No. Okay. With John C. Riley, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's a straight-up parody of the biopic form. In particular, it targets a biopic that may end up being on one of our lists. As a matter of fact, you know, for valid reasons, I totally get it. But like, ever since that movie came out, biopics have been ruined for a lot of people. And you see a lot more movies focusing on a a period of a few days or a few months or a a couple years in a person's life rather than an entire scope of someone's life, you know. So we'll see what that ends up looking like as far as our favorites, which ones appealed to us the most, spoke to us the most. Did you have any additional thoughts on the biopic subgenre? I don't think so. I mean, I just followed what guidelines you made. I I seem to prefer biopics that are like Shirley, where they're kind of fun and fun in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Something that's just a little atypical, a little unusual. Yeah, it's not the straight story, but I, I do find that I like it when it's kind of cradle to grave Mm -hmm. because I'm like, hey, now I know about this person somewhat. But often, you know, there's times where not all of that information is very accurate. So at the same time, I 
you know, sometimes I don't like it. It looks like, depending on how the format of the film happens, usually with these biopics, they start with a particular scene and then they go back in time and they get back to that scene and that's where the climax is going to happen. Yeah. So I seem to be into that. How important is accuracy uh, for you to enjoy a biopic? I think it's fairly important, you know. If, if you're going to take someone an actual person's life and do something about their life. I'd like to believe everything you're doing Mm. or at least 90% of what you're doing. I know that in some movies that are on my list, it's, it's not all accurate and they kind of fudged a character here or there to, because it was going to make a better flow. Yeah. 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 My number three is like that, but most of it is true. Uh And I like when we, somehow get into the mind of the actual person so like how Shirley is I I like that Mm. yeah I think like as long as a it gives you insight and an understanding a better understanding of who the person is the subject of the biopic and on top of it if it's able to give some sort of a, a, a bigger theme or message or purpose beyond that then that's that's all the better. But uh, let's get into it. Why don't you share with us what your number 12 favorite biopic is? I'll also say that I don't have a lot of old movies. Mm. Old being before 2000. I have one mm. from 1980, one from 1999, and everything else is the 2000s. Interesting. So my first one is the oldest one, and that is The Coal Miner's Daughter oh. from 1980. This is the bio story of country singer Loretta Lynn, played by Sissy Spacek. Mm-hmm. And the husband is played by Tommy Lee Jones. And it's a cradle-to-grave film. And I didn't really know anything. I don't know anything about Loretta Lynn, but you kind of get a sense of what happens in this film. And the thing that I really liked about this film that you know seems to really be a tearjerker for me, but also like a, hey, yay, kudos to acknowledging what that's like, is whenever a character moves away from her home and her family, they always know when a parental figure is going to die as it happens or before it happens. And I really like when movies deal with that because it's something that I can certainly relate to with my grandmother's death while I was uh, living in America. So right, right, yeah. I love the performances. Look, guys, I love the performances of all these movies. So I don't think I'm going to bother saying that again. Okay. Some are better than others with okay. it. So maybe I'll acknowledge that. This isn't an exciting film, but it is a really interesting journey film. And we watched an extra that was on a DVD with this. Speaking about how they had remade her home at like rebuilt it on her her, her ranch. Her childhood home. Yeah, her childhood home. And so she made a museum of it and everything where people could come and look and and appreciate. And I just love everything that came with the movie. Mm -hmm. So that's my number 12. Yeah, that was actually a new discovery for us. And I was actually really surprised how much of a really darn good movie that is. And another one that it kind of, it demonstrates the complexity of the husband figure too. A bit of a trip to see a young Tommy Lee Jones too. That was really weird. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm used to seeing him very old. Right, yeah. (laughs) Or seemingly old, you know. 
yeah, it was it was a really good movie. Difficult for me to get through at times because, <laughs> you know, this husband is worse than Shirley's husband. So, in, so in ways, my opinion, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's there's definitely the chauvinism of the time, right? Yeah. That's that that's relevant. There. Anyway, yeah, fantastic. So I will speak to this a little bit more later, but I had a real hard time making this list. I'm boiling it down to what are my absolute 12 favorite biopics of all times. And as a result, unfortunately and disappointingly, I don't have anything older than 1992 on my list and it does seem like though there has been a rash of biopics that's come out since the 90s over the past oh now we're at 30 years oh so it's not like i'm it's not like we didn't visit ones that exist or they're just not that many there are a lot that existed you know um prior to that but not on my list so let me get to my number 12 my number 12 is Wild from 2014, which stars Reese Witherspoon. It's about Cheryl Strayed, who, in order to get her shit together, she decided to walk the Pacific... Is it the Pacific? Pacific Crest Trail. Crest Trail. Thank the PCT. You. Yes, the Pacific Crest Trail, which is... A bitch of a hike from just above the Mexican border in Southern California, somewhere parallel to San Diego, all the way up to, I think, just above the Washington-Canadian border, if I remember correctly. Uh, So I've always really liked this. I think this is one of Reese Witherspoon's greatest performances. I think... She has made two great performances in her film career, I can speak to. And this is definitely one of them. It's always one that's kind of resonated with me and keeps calling to me. And, you know, it it works. There's a lot of complexity there. You see it does a good job of, of being in the moment, but also showing moments of the past and the shit that she's dealing with and the shit that she's trying to exercise out of herself. It's very cool. So that's wild. 2014 is my 12th favorite biopic. My number 11 is Aaron Brockovich. And man, was this available to stream practically everywhere like a year ago. And now it's nowhere to stream. Yeah. (laughs) From 2000. It's Julia Roberts is the awesome Aaron Brockovich. And it shows her journey from legal assistant to lawyer. Almost single-handedly bringing down a California power company that polluted the city water making those around it very sick and even caused death in some cases i love this simply for the power that erin brockovich brings about herself you know and it just shows smarts tenaciousness determination and caring of others and fighting for them it's like the best part of a lawyer represented yeah Definitely. Excellent pick. My number 11 is one that I've talked about a lot over the past year. It is 2019's Fighting With My Family. I knew this was going to make your list. I'm surprised it's so low. Yeah, well, you know, it's it, there's been a lot of rearranging of my list. It's available on Amazon Prime and Hulu right now. If you haven't caught up with it, it's one of the most underrated or overlooked movies of 2019. 
And, you know, there's this uh, little gal named Florence Pugh that is the lead in this movie. You may have heard of her from such things as Little Women and what was the other one she had last year? I thought it was that horror one. That's right, yeah. What is Midsommar. that? That's right. Thank you for reminding me. You may have heard of her. Uh, if you've only seen Midsommar and Little Women did not know about Fighting With My Family, I highly recommend this. She plays a real-life female wrestler trying to break into the WCW, I think it is at that point. I don't think it's the WWF anymore. And the 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 uphill, the up, ups and downs, the fact that she's even got some challenges within herself about what she's doing and why she's doing it because... Really, it was more like an obligation in her family, something she enjoyed for fun doing with her wrestling family on the amateur circuit. And it was really more her brother that had the drive, but he just didn't have an, the what it took. And it turns out she had what it took, and she had to realize that inside her. Great fun uh, performances. Uh, cameo appearance by The Rock, who apparently was instrumental in her career fighting with my family on prime and hulu is my 11th favorite biopic my number 10 is something we watched a couple years ago the straight story from 1999 yay that's on disney plus i am so glad this is on your list because you said in passing the words the straight story a few minutes ago and i was like oh i forgot about the straight story by David Lynch. Yes. He directs the story of Alvin making his way across the country on a lawnmower to visit and make amends with his sick brother. And who is the sick brother who I love that's also in Paris, Texas? He's who got is like that? two scenes. His name just went out my head. I couldn't Let me find look it. Up. Okay, you oh look that up. Oh my God. I can't believe But I love him so much. The, the journey is long and slow because it's on a lawnmower. And things happen to the lawnmower. He needs to get things repaired, etc. But this all gives Alvin time to really reflect on a lot of his life. And it also gives him time to come across strangers who who he supports or they support him through listening. And my favorite part of this whole film is when there's a conversation he's having with another guy about his age who is admiring him. For what he's doing and they speak about their experience during world war ii and oh, they talk yeah. honestly about it in a way i've it was the first my first exposure in film scene something like this where they talk about how the war affected them and they they're very honest about it they say i lost my friends i mean like i don't realize that they get really deep talking about loss and even the readjusting to life and how they were treated when they got back and it makes the point that none of them had the support they needed to carry on but they just had to carry on they just had to learn how to deal with it or not deal with them put push it to the back of their mind and i really really appreciate the movie for that such a great journey biopic harry dean stanton is the Ah, actor in question i love that man so much and this is your second film to have sissy spacek on your list yeah yeah i think it's the last though (laughs) fair enough 
What is my 10th? My 10th favorite is from 2010. It is the first of a couple from 2010, actually, to make my list. Is it the Kin Speech? It is the Social Network. Oh, darn. I thought I was going to get it right. Available on Netflix. I have sung the praises of this film a few times. Check out the following. My original 2010 review of the Social Network on the website under reviews and features. Check out my pick for the best film of the 2010s. Available in the best of 2010s segment on the website for very thorough thoughts on this film. But rewatching it recently just cemented everything I thought about this film and more. It's, it's, it's one of the greats, hands down. That's The Social Network 2010 on netflix my number nine is also from 2010 it is the kim speech oh that's so funny i thought we were gonna have something that was like right next to each other anyway this is of kim george's uh like the fifth i think kim george something played by colin firth Mm -hmm. it's his journey through his nervous stammer to becoming quite the elegant speaker but also his rise to king he isn't he he's not the oldest child of that group and so he wasn't going to be king he was next in line and so it's it's how he gets to that point next to the story of his own personal journey and i i love it the performances i i just absolutely love because i feel like it's i think it's a hard work portraying a royal i don't know how much time they get to spend with royals if anything Mm. and so i think it can be quite a difficult task I love that they're taking the time in the film to get to the root of the stammer as uncomfortable as it is. Yeah. So I love the the, the person who's the therapist. I Jeffrey love, Rush. Yeah, I mean, he's great. Uh, Helen Boehm Carter is in it as the wife. I love that film. It was a really, really pleasant surprise. And I do like that he swears. So in the beginning to deal with his stammer. Yeah, that's quite the crowd pleaser, and I would ignore the R rating. It's only rated R because of one scene where he says fuck a few times trying to work through his stammer. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. bogus reason to prevent anybody 13 to 17 from seeing the movie. I used to think that this film was overrated, and then I watched it and I was like, no, this is perfectly sound. Awesome. (laughs) What is definitely worthy of its r rating is my number nine pick <laughs> what is it from 1995 it is braveheart yeah that you had nothing to say to that one i just completely agree with you that movie is horribly uncomfortable for me <laughs> it is it is brutal it might still be considered brutal by today's standards back then it certainly was pretty gross um yeah there's all these big messy epic battles in it uh, and yes there is some fudging of reality i i get that yeah there's this. a there's a biopic that's guilty i get that i get that i don't necessarily care because what's important about this story aside from the production values is this story of one man trying to lead his country to independence from another country towards its own freedom towards against uh, any sort of tyrannical power right that uh, thinks it's better than its people yeah and they also try to erase their culture yes mm-hmm. as the english were wont to do back then uh, and beyond 
But it, yeah, it's beautiful in that sense. There's a reason why the ending is gut wrenching, no pun intended. It's just a you know a tearjerker. I've always loved it, and I definitely think it's Mel Gibson's best film he uh, ever directed. I don't think we'll see any other movies directed by him anytime soon. Um, so anyway, that's my ninth favorite biopic, Braveheart from '95. My number eight is Vice from 2018, which is available on Hulu. This stars Christian Bale as Dick Cheney, and Amy Adams as the wife, and Sam Rockwell as George W. Bush. Yeah. I loved the actors in this film so, so very much. Mm. I just love it. It tells the story of Dick Cheney from college time to becoming vice president, and everything he was responsible for politically at that time. One could say it's how he was president at the time. The way, the style in which this story is told is my favorite thing next to the actors about this film. It's why it's one of my favorites. Adam McKay makes things that are very difficult to understand into something one can understand. He has this great way of translating things too. If you want more Adam McKay, he does a lot of TV shows, apparently, such as Succession and Motherland Fort Salem, which makes sense that he's, I think, an executive producer on that one. Mm. Uh, It makes sense that he would be part of that project. And where is that available? That's on Hulu. Excellent. And, And so is Motherland Fort Salem, if you want to check that out, if you're into witches and alternate histories and timelines. Cool. My number eight, my eighth favorite biopic is 1997's Private Parts starring Howard Stern. I'm so glad it's on your list. Ah, I'm glad that you're glad. So, okay, so I'm going to try to say a few things about this as quickly as possible. One, when I went into this movie back in the 90s, you know, the reputation of Howard Stern was he was despicable. He was a bit of an, uh, a jerk, and he was shocked for shock's sakes. This movie definitely made him more of a person and humanized him. And I was actually really surprised at how good his acting is. This is actually Howard Stern playing Howard Stern, playing himself. And he's actually really good in it. It helps you understand what he was going for in his early radio career. You know, it is unfortunate that there is so much sweetness in the movie with regards to his first wife, and it ends on a positive note, but, like, within a couple of years, they divorced, you know? Yeah, you're right. Like, I have so much hope for them at the end, and it's it's not in yeah, reality. Yeah, and his wife is made, played by Mary, the wonderful and beautiful Mary McCormick, and uh, not the real wife uh, at all. But, yeah, uh, that's, that's a little unfortunate to know after the fact that that actually didn't work out. But, oh, that's what it was. One of the insightful and interesting things about it is how I think it really demonstrates how difficult it is to work with him at that point in his life and to live with him at that point in his life because... What I see, and he talks about this in hindsight now, is he was he had blinders on just trying to get to the next thing, the next level. He was so career focused. Mm-hmm. He was so focused on getting that audience member and, you know, not losing the audience numbers and stuff, you know. And I think like the movie doesn't necessarily touch on it. 
in that in that way, but you see it. You could see shades of of what he reflects on now as how difficult he was to be around personally and how he difficult he was to be as a friend too because he was just trying to be as filterless as possible in order to stay on air i think that's that gives an interesting additional uh layer to the film check it out private parts 1997 and if you're a fan of that you should check out the NPR Terry Gross and yes. Howard Stern interview. Exactly. It's kind of amusing. <laughs> and it's exactly um, some of that reflection in there too. My number seven is from 2005, Walk the Line. This is one of those films I love how it begins and it's beginning in kind of the middle of it. And then it comes back to that part of the time in mm. the movie. It's Cradle to Grave and we see Johnny Cash's life played by Joaquin Phoenix you know, go through a lot of guilt in his life and, and trying to make his music work and really grab his, what makes him unique and celebrate that within himself. And it's just really interesting. I like that we see him broken and how he tries to come out of that. And specifically how Reese Witherspoon's character, who is, who's her character? June Carter Cash. June Carter uh, Cash, how she kind of, no, <laughs> no bullshit way with him. And I really like that. Cool. My seventh favorite is one of my favorite films of 2018. It is Bohemian Rhapsody, available on HBO now. This is uh, really the biopic of Freddie Mercury, uh, even though it follows Queen uh, as a big part of Freddie Mercury's life, of course. I've talked about this movie a few times. It's just transportive in some ways. You know, the performances in it were were like revival of this these people, this time, this band. It was uncanny to me how well the these people were portrayed. And I absolutely fell head over heels in love with this film. Uh, for more on that, feel free to check out our episodes on that. And I think I even wrote about it in the best of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, available on HBO now. I love that film, too. My number six is Long Walk to Freedom from 2013. Edris Alba beautifully plays Mandela. We get to not only see Nelson Mandela's rise to being president of the very first democratic election of South Africa which was in 1990, so not very long ago. Most importantly, we also see how apartheid affected South Africans that were not white. I love the performances, and I love how many events we're able to see in this film. Events that were horrible. Events that killed so many people, and are the reason that South Africa has public holidays, so that we don't forget what happened years ago because of apartheid. It's a great film about a massive intolerance and also white supremacy and how that affects everyone else. We showed this to our son recently and I think it went really well in giving him an idea of what intolerance is, how horrible it can be. 
because sometimes it's hard to have something that articulates it mm. other than just saying there are intolerant bastards out there <laughs> so um, I highly recommend this film it uh, you seem to think that it's important to know a little bit about apartheid in order to really know what's going on yeah I wasn't going to share my thoughts on the on the film necessarily it's definitely helpful having a South African there watching it with you yeah Okay, well, uh, what's your number six? My six, as we are now in the halfway mark, is one of your picks, 2005's Walk the Line. All I see and get some of the criticisms that people have for this movie, but I can't honestly help, I, I can't deny the talent of Joaquin Phoenix and Reese Witherspoon in this film. This is um, Reese's other great performance of her career. They are both fantastic in Walk the Line. Uh, Walking very well uh, makes himself sound as close as possible to Johnny Cash. He gives a tremendous performance. And yes, it is at times a tortured performance. But... I think they carry the film. I don't think the rest of the film is bad. I get the criticisms for it, but it works. Of this kind of film, it really, really works uh, for me. And it really helps you understand why this couple is one of the greatest couples in music history. And, you know, they had a really great love story. And I love it. I love it. Walk the Line by James Mangold, by the way, who's a, quite the reliable director. He made Logan later on and several other films. 2005 is my sixth favorite biopic. My number five is Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Oh, really? From 2019. Tom Hanks is the loving, safe place Fred Rogers. Mm. And Matthew Rice, who I know from the Americans and Brothers and Sisters, is Lloyd Vogel. Uh, directed by Marielle Heller, who is amazing. The format of this film is my favorite thing. The performances are great, obviously. But the format is such that it's like an episode of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for adults to be okay with what adults go through in adulthood. And that is the best part of this film. And it just... Makes you feel okay with the world. Maybe we should go watch it now. Maybe it'll help. <laughs> Where can people find it? Is it on a subscription service? No, it's not. Oh, shame. That's no. a bummer. So no. maybe it's available. But it's everywhere. worth purchasing. So just go for it. <laughs> it can be a blind buy, you know. Fair enough. Uh, yeah. It, it, and it, you know, Fred Rogers is known for his quiet moments in his shows, mm -hmm. his, his episodes. And they certainly have that. In this film. My fifth favorite biopic is also from 2010. My second film oh. from 2010. 127 Hours by Danny Boyle. Starring Franco. Franco James Franco. Uh, he plays Aaron Ralston, who basically is this guy who he, he loves hiking. He loves doing physical activity outdoors, mountain biking, whatever it is. He gets a little cavalier about it one day, and 
it ends up costing him his arm <laughs> because he <laughs> slips and a boulder ends up pinning his hand uh, his yeah his hand basically against the rock uh, face and he's stuck there for exactly 127 hours which is about five days yeah yeah more than that and you know here's the thing here's what's fascinating you have a story about a guy stuck in one place for five days and it is remarkable how kinetic danny boyle is able to make that story how he's able to make it move and and uh just you know not at all feel static that's the talent of danny boyle to be able to make a movie where a guy is standing in place for five days exciting and fascinating and uh, of course above all interesting and beautiful too at times as well uh i absolutely love it and it's one of james franco's best performances so far in his career i think it's a little underrated check it out if you haven't 127 hours from 2010 is my fifth favorite biopic my number four is i tanya this is available to stream on Hulu. It's from 2017. Margot Robbie plays the famous ice skater Tanya Harding. It's from when she's four years old to basically now telling her story. We see her her rise to champion competitive U.S. ice skater mm -hmm. to the scandal that surrounded her. And I say surrounded her because it's a little questionable, isn't it? I love this because it shows us the situation you may find yourself in and may not be able to get out of. I love the performances, the tenaciousness and strength and determination of the character, of the real person. You know, side note, it's also interesting to see if you raise a child in a, in a, in a way that takes abuse verbally or physically, they're going to think it's okay into adulthood. So just saying. Don't be a fucker. Yeah, that, that's a good good point. First of all, I'm noticing you love characters with tenacity. That's a common trait. It's what I wish I had. <laughs> uh, that film also raises the question of if she hadn't had a bitch of a mom who yeah. was so hard on her and so mean, would she have been as good a skater as she ended up being? Or mm -hmm. would she have been able to quit? And never be this person who did this triple axel. But it's also like, would she, I think it was in her to be a skater. Would, and so it brings about the question, I think, of would she have found herself in a situation with that particular kind of boyfriend and that particular kind of people? Yeah, no, you know? that was definitely the price that her upbringing paid for sure. Okay. So my fourth favorite biopic is Love and Mercy from 2015, uh, available on Amazon oh, Prime. Oh, that's my number three. Oh, I fucking excellent. love that film. Fantastic. It's available on Amazon Prime and Hulu. What I love about it really, like, okay, first of all, let me clarify. It's about Brian Wilson, the genius behind the Beach Boys in many ways. Genius behind such songs as Good Vibrations and, well, fucking name a Beach Boys song and more than likely he's the genius behind it, really. This takes place in two different eras of his life. The first stars Paul Dano as Brian Wilson and he's in this phase where he's creating what would become Pet Sounds, the famous uh, legendary album. And then the second era stars John Cusack as 
Brian Wilson, I think in his 50s or 60s, and he's in this very dark place and and where he's gone he's on these drugs uh prescribed drugs he's being controlled he's being, i was getting there yeah okay. i was getting there and he's controlled by his manager played by paul giamatti elizabeth banks also stars in it as essentially his savior i love it especially for its ability to so well communicate the creative process and the thrill oh, that can happen within the creative process in music. And I just love seeing movies about the, the, the creation of music, especially if it's legendary albums like Pet Sounds. What do you love about Love and Mercy? I love this movie because we get to see the creative process that many creators of uh, creators are gifted with mm-hmm. and it it's turned into something that one can articulate he hears things he sees things and there's nothing wrong with that it's just part of being a creative and i can totally relate to him when they're articulating that in the film we well, did have a schizophrenic condition uh, about him too like an actual diagnosed condition it turned out are you saying i'm schizophrenic thank goodness <laughs> no <laughs> i mean it seems like that can be manageable mm. in the time that we're in right now so mm. i don't think it's necessarily well i'm not gonna say anything but <laughs> i i love that they show creation yeah absolutely Oh, uh, I would just say that Love and Mercy is an uh, an, an overlooked, underrated movie. And you yeah, I think it should get more praise. It's definitely a, it's available in two places. Go check it out somewhere. Prime and Hulu. My third favorite biopic is Aaron Brockovich from 2000. What? It's higher on your list than mine? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I guess so. That's cool. I, I almost wish that I rewatched it just to see if I could mine something new from it this time around. Uh, but... You know, you said pretty much all the major points, and I will just give some praise to Albert Finney, who has since passed away. Oh, he has. Unfortunately, the past couple years, I think. He is fantastic as a guy that bounces off of Aaron Brockovich, off of Julia Roberts in it. You know, sometimes he's flummoxed by her. Sometimes he admires her. uh, Sometimes he absolutely just gets a kick out of the things that come out of her mouth. (laughs) Yeah, uh, and and she. I think is, he admires her. Yes. Yeah, Especially. and she's fantastic. It's a great story. Aaron Eckhart, I don't think gets mentioned enough in that. He's also very sweet and and is able to provide something to Aaron that she doesn't necessarily expect from him. It's a great movie, honestly. One of my favorite Steven Soderbergh films. Aaron Brockovich, third favorite biopic from two thousand. My number two is The Wolf of Wall Street from 2013. Oh, wow. Leonardo DiCaprio, lovely, lovely man, very nice, plays Jordan Belfort, a story of his rise to an incredibly wealthy stockbroker career and his life of crime, corruption, and quaaludes. This is an insane, crazy ride, and it's so crazy, it's believable. Okay. You know, it's one of those crazies. All right. I love the performances in this. I love the characters. I just, I get such a kick out of everything that happens in this film. The dialogue, I just, 
I love it so much. Look, I don't partake in drugs. I don't partake in alcohol. I don't partake in uh, all the things that this person is partaking in. Yeah. But I love watching them do it, you know. And Margot Robbie's in here too, and I'm very fond of her. This is her breakout role. Uh, It is? I thought it was the big short first. It's not? No. You kidding me? No. She was actually known when the big short came out. So I'm a huge fan of this movie. Love it, love it, love it. It's not available to stream anywhere, unfortunately. But again, if you love crazy, this is a good blind buy. Someone better get your Blu-ray to turn up or they'll get cut. That's uh, apparently... It's still missing? Yes. Where the fuck is it? Exactly. There you go. My second favorite biopic is from 1992. It is my oldest biopic on my list, oddly enough. I feel bad about it. But it is about probably one of the oldest people, well, save William Wallace, I guess, on my list. It is Chaplin, about Charlie Chaplin. I have always adored this film since I saw it at the age of 12. I like this film, too. Robert Downey Jr. is absolutely remarkable. You know, people pretend as though he didn't exist before Iron Man and how great he is since Iron Man. No, he was in Hearts and Souls. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But come on, guys. Like He is remarkable as Charlie Chaplin. He is also uncanny in his appearance as Charlie Chaplin, too. He looks a lot like him. I I could tell, though, he worked his ass off. I know his life was probably a mess at this time still. Uh, Well, I know still. But he worked his ass off for this performance. He did a great job. It's also a huge, huge cast that includes Dan Aykroyd, uh, Maria Patillo and Kevin Klein and so many others. Marissa Tomei. I know it also kind of helps if you have some sort of familiarity and knowledge of the silent era to get who these people are because the movie doesn't like stop and explain, okay, so Douglas Fairbanks is the action movie of the star. Or doesn't, you know, Mary Pickford is the child star of the silent film. She was a silent, or she was a child star until her 30s. You know, it doesn't give context necessarily of who all these people are. So you kind of, it kind of helps to know and understand. It really like breezes over United Artists and the creation of that. But I love it. I am moved by it all the time. And it stars... One of Chaplin's daughters, I believe it is, Geraldine Chaplin, as Chaplin's mom. Oh, that's really cool. Very cool movie. I love it. Chaplin from 1992. My number one is 2014's Wild with Reese Witherspoon as Cheryl Strayed, her bio on the 1001 Mile Hike on the PCT. As I mentioned. Yes. I love her story. I love that she took responsibility for healing mm-hmm. after a couple traumas that she had. I love seeing her struggle but still keep going. Anyone can relate to this movie. You don't have to have the same behaviors or traumas as her. And you don't have to be a hiker to be able to understand that Cheryl Strayed, played by Reese Witherspoon, took responsibility and healed herself as best she could. And she came out of it on the other side wild. That's awesome, love. I'm not surprised that's on your list. It's interesting that it ended up being your favorite. My favorite, based on my favorite, apparently I love most 
biopics about creatives, about stars, about the about filmmakers, whatever it is, because my number one is Tim Burton's Ed Wood from 1994. I contend, unpopular opinion, this is Tim Burton's last great movie. No movie since 1994 has been nearly as good as this biopic about the so-called worst director of all time. He of Glenn or Glenda. <laughs> he of Plan 9 from Outer Space and several other bad movies. I have seen some of them. I can attest, especially Glenn or Glenda. Ooh. But Johnny Depp plays Ed Wood. And this may be Johnny Depp's last great performance where he's doing something interesting and not just to entertain. And he plays this guy with so much humanity, so much heart, so much wide-eyed, what is it? Like, he's an optimist, right? He's always like, he's, he's kind of like this idealist. He thinks everything will work out just fine. He'll be a big, he'll be this big career, you know, director and everything. And, and yeah, it's fantastic. It's got a fantastic cast. Martin Lando plays Bella Lugosi, who mm. Ed Wood befriended and gave Bella his final role before he died, sort of. There's, I don't know. There's a lot to love about this movie. The mm. score, I think also by Danny Elfman, is magnificent and moving and also has that wonderful eerie instrument in it too which the name of which i can't remember right now it's spectacular stuff edward is my favorite biopic of all time from 1994 shanna before we finish up were there any biopics that you took into consideration that you couldn't fit into this list or was it a solid 12 for you yeah, so I wanted to include Shirley, but, you know, we just spoke about it, so I didn't. Okay. I love Bohemian Rhapsody. I love how, you know, all the characters really look like the real people. I expected that um, on your list. I'm surprised it wasn't. Yeah, I, I like Malcolm X. Uh, I love Chaplin. Hidden Figures. Serpico, I think, is really interesting. Uh, Schindler's List. Uh, yeah. Watch it once a decade kind of film, but okay. amazing when you do. Uh, and I really like the hurricane. I just that was a new discovery. That was a really good story. Denzel a, a, Washington and and really, wow, so well timed for us to watch it during this time that we're going through right now with Black Lives Matter. I expected one of the two Denzel Washington movies to make you list, and not, I do love much. Denzel Washington. Yes, but this is what I ended up with. Yeah, no, fantastic. I had a real hard time. I had over two dozen movies. I'm going to just blow through them kind of in order of almost made a list to furthest away. Uh, The Keen Speech made your list. Yankee Doodle Dandy. I keep praising the hell out of that one. 1942. Got booted off my list. Persepolis from 07. Oh, yes, me too. Megan Levy, a great one. The Theory of Everything. I, Tonya, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love I, Tonya also. Born on the 4th of July. One of the great Tom Cruise performances. Rudy was Sean Astin. Vice made your list. I'm surprised Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman didn't make your list. It had made a list a month ago, so I figured I'd give it a break. Very good. Malcolm X was also in consideration. The Straight Story, I love one of my favorite David Lynch movies. Gandhi, 
Gandhi, I would have thought for sure would have been on this list, but didn't quite make it. There's so many other things. One of the most inspirational movies I have ever seen ever. I give it a shout out on the basis of sex about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I liked it more than you did. I love Felicity Jones. She's in that. Straight out of Compton. I wanted to rewatch it. I remember really liking that film, but just didn't get an opportunity. Same thing with A Mighty Heart with Angelina Jolie from, I think, 2007, if I remember. Brilliant performance. Absolutely. One of her best, hands down. Mask with Sharon Eric Stoltz and Sam Elliott from the mid-80s. Solid film. And I even kind of like... Chadwick Boseman's 42, which is about Jackie Robinson. That's Chadwick Boseman? That's right. Oh, that's really cool. Him breaking the color barrier in baseball. So those are some favorite biopics. I just could not get it on this list in any way. There was so much to choose from. But what are your favorite biopics? Please let us know. Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to about do it for us in this episode of The Movie Lovers. Before we talk about the next episode, let's talk about some credits where people can find us online. Shanna, go for it. You can politely find me at Instagram on Shanna underscore Paxton underscore photography. Be nice. Don't be a jerk. Don't try and be my sugar daddy. That's happened twice already. Let's all be nice to each other. Hmm? And you can find me at Flickchart Spellbinding A. So go to thegibsonreview.com for many of the articles that were just referenced in this episode, as well as other episodes of The Movie Lovers. You can stream directly from there. Uh, go to Facebook slash The Gibson Review. You can follow us on there if you're a fan of Facebook. Go to Instagram, the Gibson 99 I do bracket polls there on Instagram story. I try to keep us up to date on what we've done recently with that. It looks like since the last episode, Baby Driver was voted the your favorite 2017 movie. Deadpool was voted your favorite 2016 movie. Right now, we're doing a 1940s poll. That is about to wrap up a couple days after time of recording we're down to our final eight on that one uh so we'll see i'll report back to you what the winner is or you can go to the uh, gibson 99 on instagram and see for yourself and then find me on flick charts the gibson 99 all right shanna Next time on The Movie Lovers, we're going to do something different, okay? We're going to finish our epic journey backwards through time with our favorite movies of the 30s, okay? But... Which is so far very difficult for me. I'm not completely in love with what we've seen so far. Well, you also got to look at what you've already seen, too, and kind of see. You might be You might be surprised. But we're also going to do an anniversary Review. One hundred Yeah. One hundredth anniversary of I think I was going between two different movies. I think Way Down East by DW Griffith was one I was considering, uh, based on accessibility, but I think I'm actually going to stick with the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, a very influential German expressionist silent film came out in 1920 
You can check that out ahead of time if you'd like. It's currently available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, hopefully it stays that way for the next uh, few weeks. But that'll be our main review. And we might even do a shout out to wrap up our backwards through time journey of what our absolute favorite silent film is, I think, after doing our 1930s countdown. So that's what you can expect in our next episode of The Movie Lovers. Look for that on Tuesday july 21st until then keep loving the movies this is jeff and shanna saying bye bye